Med Student Over Easy session. Today we are here with some fabulous guests talking about reasons people don't match. I am Caitlin Bowers and I'll be hosting today's session. I'm a community M doc and also work at Campbell University. And I have two excellent guests with me if you want to introduce yourselves. My name is Mary McLean. I am an assistant program director at Advent Health East Orlando, and I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Jeff Comp. I'm one of the assistant program directors at the Creighton University Phoenix Medical School and Emergency Medicine Residency. Let's go ahead and dive into today's topic. We are going to talk about every fourth year's student's nightmare, and that is not matching. This is something that maybe isn't as relevant lately as EM is not quite as competitive in recent years, and that's a discussion for another day. But we want to talk about some common mistakes that students make during the match season and how that could affect their ability to match at a program so that everyone listening out there can try to avoid doing such things this fall. Maybe we could start by just talking about applying in general. I think that we probably all have some opinions on how what programs you choose to apply to and how many you choose to apply to might lead you down the pathway of not matching. This is really a huge discussion to have with mentors. This is one of the soapboxes that I get on all the time with my medical students is saying, we need to be having conversations about your on-paper strengths as well as your off-paper strengths, right? So what are the hard skills and soft skills that you have? And then finding the programs that are going to match the best with you. And I think that's really, really important. So many times I recognize that it's a challenge, but I truly believe that the system is designed to match the person with the program. And if the idea is to try to game the system by manipulating your rank list to try to successfully match rather than saying, this is where I actually want to go, that's where I've seen, unfortunately, some really incredible applicants not match in the initial rounds. And you bring up a really good point, and I think we actually talked about it on the mentorship podcast you and I did in the past, is you need a mentor that's going to tell you what your weaknesses are and be honest with you about where you should apply or what's a REACH program so that you don't find yourself thinking that a lot of programs you're competitive at when maybe you honestly aren't. I think mentorship is a huge theme that we can focus on here because it's something that you can develop even as a first, second, third year medical student. You can be doing this the entire time, but you've got to have somebody who ideally is EM specific. And unfortunately, a lot of the schools across the country are, as much as I hate the term, orphan medical schools. They don't have EM specific mentorship as an default thing for the folks who are thinking about going EM bound. So I think that it's important for medical students to know that they can reach out in this virtual world and they can get a mentor through the national organizations, either ACOEP or EMRA or AAEM. There are plenty of opportunities and there are plenty of people out there who are willing to mentor EM-bound medical students who are EM-specific. And the earlier you make those relationships... I'll say this as a mentor, the earlier a student reaches out to me and says, hey, I'd like to establish a mentor-mentee relationship, the easier it is for me to say, look, I know you, this will not be a good program for you, right? I mean, obviously, it is never too late to find mentors. Here is to be able to see their roadmap and see what they've done and, and see how, how they are as a person and then be able to give them true advice rather than someone saying, hey, Dr. Comp, we've never met before. Can you tell me about my rank list? And I'm kind of like, I don't know. It looks good. You bring up such a good point because I get a lot of people like that at the end of the season. It's interesting because the people I feel like I can help more 
are the people I know more about because there'll be a student that will tell me throughout the process I interviewed and rotated X program. This program is great for me. I think my spouse is going to love the area. They go on and on. And every time we talk about programs, even if we're not talking about that specific program, that's where they seem to get excited is when we mention that program again. And then when I meet with them before the rank lists are due, they're suddenly trying to decide if they want to switch and put something else first. And I have the ability then to kind of hold back and say, well, whatever you want to do is your choice, but you always seemed so excited about this program, what happened and kind of question them a little bit. Whereas if I've never met you before, I don't really have any substantial reason to tell them you why you should or shouldn't switch your whole rank list around. I think there's there's something to be said also for knowing what to expect out of mentorship and knowing where you're going to get the most value out of a mentor-mentee relationship. I think a lot of times at the beginning of fourth-year medical school or the end of third-year medical school, if you're just developing a relationship with a mentor, you're going to you're kind of like already in that application mode. You're kind of already in not, I don't want to say panic mode, but a little bit panic mode because you're writing your personal statement. You're trying to construct your era CV and everything. And that's what you want the help with. You want somebody to review your personal statement, tell you, you know, what to work on, tell you what parts of it are good. And then you want to make sure that you're including everything, all of the important details on your ERAS application, but you sort of lose sight of what is the bigger picture and what's the most important thing, which is, you know, what is my early career going to look like? Where can I get the training that is going to support my goals for my early career? And where am I going to thrive during residency? What kind of a program should I go to? So those are the themes that I think medical students need to focus on those. And it's hard to sort of take a step back from the initial ARS application and the interview process. I also caution students from getting an actual quantitative number of programs that someone tells them they should apply to. I know a lot of times people, especially some of the orphan schools, if you will, they use whether it be the court up advising guide or these different advising guides to try to give them a number. One of the things I like to tell people is if you're going to use one of those guides to give you a number, that number is only the programs that you are competitive at. You've worked very hard to get to this point. You've spent a lot of money. So if you have the means, you should apply to reach programs that you would be excited about going to. But you can't include that in your number because I think a lot of people will end up applying to a lot of reach programs and say they hit whatever number someone told them they should apply to. But really, there are very few programs in that list that are actually realistic for their application. Let's talk a little bit about some specific groups. I can start with our osteopathic friends, since most of us are familiar with the DO-friendly programs. I think that this is something that we can talk about because a lot of times people don't look into what programs are osteopathic friendly, something you should consider if you don't take both the Comlex and the USMLE as well. There's a lot of different filters and databases you can use to do that these days. But what would be your advice specifically to an osteopathic resident, Jeff? I I feel really badly saying this, but try to not close doors before you even apply. I know information is changing and I I, I hate the fact that I'm recommending to take both tests still, especially Mm -hmm. now that they're becoming pass-fail. But there are a lot of programs out there, I mean, my own included, that are very comfortable going between the complex and the USMLE and being very adept at comparing apples to apples and not all of them are. And while that 
in my opinion, that is continuing to improve all the time. I would really hate for a student to find that they aren't really eligible to apply to a program because they didn't take one of the tests early on in their career. I feel really badly saying that because I want so bad for that for me to not have to give that advice anymore. But I don't quite think that we are we're at the level where we can say you shouldn't have to take the USM. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I will say in just the past four years that I've been working in an advising capacity for students, it's amazing the number of programs that are readily taking osteopathic students these days. But I think you do need to be aware of looking at what percentage of the program is osteopathic, if they have any osteopathic faculty. And like you said, if they're 1% 1% DO and you didn't take the USMLE, then, you know, that's probably not realistic. The way I'm kind of thinking of this question too is in this environment with the way that the match worked out the last two years, there's sort of three scenarios that I'm foreseeing for DOs who apply to programs this year. So the first scenario is a program who is DO friendly and they look at your application, they interview. Great. There is another program that is maybe not DO friendly. You apply to them and they don't look at your application. Okay. And then there's the third scenario, which is maybe a little bit more complex. Maybe there's a program that was not previously DO friendly. And in this application environment, now they're considering being a little bit more DO friendly. Now, this could end up being a wonderful scenario if you apply to them, interview, like them, and then you end up matching with them. Or it could end up being not your ideal situation. Do you really want to be the one DO in a program that is historically not DO friendly? Now, maybe the answer is yes. Maybe you want to be that trailblazer and maybe you want to open up the opportunities and sort of pave the path forward for that program to become a DO friendly program and to make this a possibility for DO applicants in your future. However, it could be hard because I won't say that, you know, if they're used to only accepting MDs in the past, that this is going to be a 100% good experience for you. Can I guarantee that? No, but no, that's definitely some great points. The other kind of minority group that comes up a lot. I had to do a lot of research on this group when I first started advising is the military match. I've had a few scenarios in the past couple of years that were truly kind of heartbreaking where students chose only to have mentors in the military, which I understand they need to be very familiar with that process. And a lot of us civilians are not super familiar with their process. But they were told that they would never get civilian deferment in their branch. And then they got civilian deferment. And unfortunately, they had only applied to maybe 10 programs in the civilian match. And they weren't at competitive places. They were kind of bigger institutions that didn't take a lot of DOs. And by December rolling around, you can't always get interviews last minute when you apply to extra programs. I've had a couple scenarios where those students ended up soaping. And so I just caution people in the military, obviously, you need to rely heavily on your military advisors for that portion of the match, but don't disregard what your civilian mentors are telling you. You should have a strong backup plan because a lot of those students are amazing applicants, and it just breaks my heart to see them go to a program when they could have maybe gone to such a better program in a location that they really wanted to be in. I don't know if you guys have any experience with the military since you're, you're more on the residency side of things. You know, unfortunately, we have residents that have matched to us that have their military commitments, but I really don't have a lot of experience trying to navigate the military match. What you bring up is an excellent point in that you should have more than one mentor. 
we talk about mentorship and it's not a box to check. It needs to be multiple different people that are fulfilling different career, personal, professional experiences and how they all interact will help you make the best decisions. Absolutely. Moving on to the next big topic of things would be burning bridges on audition rotations. I mean, we're all at conference. We all know it's a small world. We all know each other. So kind of give us from your standpoint, both being faculty, some things you've seen that have really hurt students. That's a really, really good topic to address because, you know, it's jarring to think of your upcoming audition rotation and, you know, you feel like you've got to behave a certain way in order to impress everyone but not do too much to impress them, not seem desperate because, you know, all of this is going to end up in your slow. I would say the most important things are to be hardworking, to be coachable and teachable, to be humble, to be honest, and to be professional with everybody that you encounter on the team at your audition rotations. The interactions that you have with the residents, the interactions you have with the faculty, with the patients, with the program coordinator, all of that is fair game. I think that people forget that. If you give a good impression while you're on an audition rotation, it really is a small world. Program leadership has other program leadership on speed dial or on, we text back and forth all the time. We know each other. We're very well networked. It's kind of a small world. So if you leave a good impression on a program that you're rotating with, other programs are going to know. And if you leave a bad impression, similarly, other programs may, may learn about it. Every student should start every single rotation with the idea that they're going to try to learn something and that this is an opportunity. Something that I've seen or heard, definitely not, it's it's not like projected or sort of given out readily, but the idea of some students saying, well, this is kind of a throwaway audition for me to practice for my next one that I really want to go to. If that is, right. Or what if I happen to be best friends with the PD of this other program who was able to, who was then going to call me and say, hey, I had this person that came in. What'd you think of them? They were ready for your audition is, is what, what happened with my audition with this person. Or like, you know, what if you're getting a slow from that quote unquote throwaway audition? Or what if you have an evaluation from that quote unquote throwaway audition rotation that makes it into your MSPE? That really can hurt you because we're looking at all of the slows. These these slows are the most, one of the most telling parts of the application. And we care what other faculty members saw in you when you rotated, because that's our one of our best ways to learn about how you are going to be in the clinical environment and as a member of the team once you match into residency. Is it a perfect correlation? No, but it's one of the things we definitely look at. Who's to say that the slow from the institution you, know, you really want to go to is any more important than the slow from the throwaway rotation that you didn't actually want to go to. So, Let me pose a question to you guys. Students are always coming to me. I need to prep for my auditions. I need to know what resources I need to study, et cetera, et cetera. Would you rather have a very knowledgeable student or someone with a personality that is teachable and fits with your program? For sure, the personality. For sure. I think that a lot of times people who have 
upcoming rotations in EM programs, they really feel like if I've got that medical knowledge in my back pocket, if I've already developed the the suturing skills, the intubation skills, then I'm going to be the most impressive and they're going to remember me. That is absolutely not what I remember about medical students. Now, do we expect a certain amount of medical knowledge? Of course, but The truth is that we want applicants and rotators who are going to get something out of our program. We want somebody who is going to benefit from us teaching them. We want applicants to our residency program who are going to be able to learn and grow during the three or four years that they are with us. Why are we even here if they already have all the medical knowledge and skills? There's no point in going to a residency even. I completely agree. I remember when I was doing my auditions and early on in residency saying like there are all these people that are super smarter than I am, but I'm going to outwork everyone. And if I have a med student that comes in and tells me or demonstrates to me, you know what, Dr. Comp, I'm probably not going to know all these intricities of dosings or different medication schedules or procedures. But if you put the time in to teach me, then I'm going to learn it and I'm going to figure out how I can take care of patients better. That's who I want. And in the same vein, by the time a person, not just a student, a person gets to residency, the personality cake is kind of baked. So we can make, as residencies and as educators, we can make people physicians. I can't unmake you a weirdo by the time you get to my program. So if you are prepping for my rotation, focus on organizational skills, focus on patient presentation, Focus on being a hard worker. I know this is a weird thing, but focus on being early, on time is late, just these kinds of things. And I will work with you and we'll learn the medicine together. I remember sitting at an ACEP conference when I was a first year medical student, and the whole lecture was about things not to do on audition rotations. And I was just like, there is no way that people do these things on their auditions. They're just telling me to be normal. There has to be more to being a good auditioner than that. And then when I was chief, I was just mind blown by the kind of things people do on audition rotations. I'm like, wow, you really just need to be a hardworking, normal person that people want to hang out with. I think a lot of times when the stakes feel so high, I mean, this is, everybody goes into these audition, well, a lot of people go into these audition rotations thinking, this is my career. This is my life. And I need to just absolutely kill this audition rotation. If I don't, I'm going to totally fail. That's not the case, first of all. But I think we need to be mindful that you can't get into that panic state. You really can't be thinking about it that way. You don't have to perform the best. Like You, you don't need to be that that savant that is just absolutely you like knows more than everyone else and has the better procedural skills than everyone else. You don't have to put that kind of pressure on yourself. I feel like a lot of times when people go into their audition rotations, they put this incredible pressure on themselves and that just makes them get into their own heads. It makes them perform worse. So so now, post-COVID, we aren't having as many in-person visits. So there's a lot of different virtual open houses. A lot of programs provide different online webinars and things for students interested in their program. And so if you're someone that's maybe an average or below average applicant and you're looking to get interviews at places that maybe are a little bit of a reach to you, can you guys talk about 
showing interest in your programs, whether that's attending open houses or conferences or residency fairs and how that impacts students' chances of getting into your programs? It's a really great question. I remember the names of people who come and visit our residency fair booths. And I remember the names of people. I actually write them down. I actually have kind of a goldfish brain for some of these things, but I write them down so that I know to look for their applications, especially if they tell me that they're specifically interested in my program. So definitely come to the residency fairs, go to the conferences, come up to me at the end of one of my talks at one of these conferences and just introduce yourself. Let me know that you are a continuously interested applicant and that your plans are to apply to my program because I will remember you. The only other thing that I would recommend is outside of those residency fairs and conferences and webinars, remember that you can also reach out to us on email. A lot of times it'll just be a matter of emailing our program coordinator and asking to be put in touch with one of the program leadership members. The more you can establish that personal connection with us, the better. And the more that we know why you are specifically interested yes. in our program. I think that is hitting the nail on the head. I don't need an email that says, Dr. Comp, I really like your program. The emails that I hold on to that I remember are the ones that are like, hey, Dr. Comp, I met you at this conference. Or, hey, I saw you give this lecture. Or, hey, you know what? I, I grew up in Phoenix and I heard that you did too and I have this really incredible connection. So I advise my mentees reach out to faculty this is a weird thing to say if you have that bridging connection. Meaningful right, connection. right, like, right. I you mean, actually have something exactly. to say. You're not trying to come up just with something. To just say, hey, I, I hear that you're a, a hospital in Phoenix and it's hot <laughs> like there hospitals. sometimes. Huh? <laughs> I like emergency uh, right, medicine. Right, exactly. You um, like emergency yeah, medicine. Yeah, right. We have, we have something <laughs> we in could common. Be friends. Right. A student that has a connection or there is a specific reason that you love the program, please, please tell us. But you do not need to check the box of, writing all of the programs that you're applying to and saying, I'm applying to you because that doesn't add as much to me. But if you have some sort of connection, if we've made a connection before, if we've met or if you know some of my current residents or if you're excited to rotate or please, please let us know because that kind of stuff, I agree with you. I write that stuff down and I look for that and I look for your application. Awesome. I think the last major point that we haven't hit on yet is things you can do on interviews to not shoot yourself in the foot. And I think now that interviews are virtual and you have the ability to cancel, change, sign up last minute, there's a lot of different <laughs> things that we wouldn't have talked about a few years ago. So if you guys just want to talk about some things you've seen happen on interviews that would maybe lead someone down the do not match pathway. Yeah, this is, uh, I've seen so many, you know, interview horror stories, presentations, and some of these things are, you know, pretty blatant. Some of the pieces of advice that I could give on this recording, a lot of folks listening would just be like, well, of course not. Of course, I'm never going to do that. But you would be surprised. Some of the, the less obvious ones are be on time, dress up like professionally, because sometimes people don't. If you need to cancel, that's all right, but reach out and reach out as early as you possibly can because even if you're not going to be attending that interview, it's not like it doesn't matter. I mean, this is a professionalism thing. 
I think you bring up a good point. Nowadays, there's a lot of the different platforms that interviews are scheduled on. And I've had a couple of students who canceled on the platform, but didn't reach out to the program. And I actually was sent emails from the program from the medical school side saying, you know, this person was very disrespectful and canceled last minute when really that platform never notified them. And I think if the student had just sent an email and clarified, you know, I'm sorry, but I want to give this opportunity to someone else, they would have had the chance to put someone else in that spot and not waste time reviewing that student's application. And I don't think there would have been any kind of backlash from that. Right. Err on the side of over-communication, if anything. The other thing that I, that may not come as like quite an obvious piece of advice is, you know, everyone has questions about the programs that they're interviewing at, of course. Be careful about some of those sensitive questions, like how many hours am I going to be working as an intern? Be careful about the way that you ask those, because there are some very appropriate ways and times to ask those questions, but there's also some very inappropriate ways that'll kind of maybe give a a little bit less of a great impression of you. I was actually just talking about this with our PD. A good example really is that how many hours am I going to be working question. You can say, so, okay, so how many shifts per month do you guys do? How many hours are most of the shifts? That's fine. Be sure you're asking it of the right person. Like if you have five minutes to ask questions of the program director, it's probably not something that you should turf to the program director. But there are other ways that you can ask these questions too that are kind of can make people come across as a little bit entitled, like, okay, so how many hours am I going to be expected to work per week? So how many vacation requests can I put in every month in the ER? Exactly. Canceling, canceling is big for any reason. I mean, obviously we get it, but making sure that you're communicating canceling is, is really big. Also with the questions that you're asking, something that is one of my big pet peeves is question marks to check off the box that you've asked questions. I'm okay if you say, hey, you know, something that I actually like to ask everyone to get their own opinion is what's your favorite part of your program? Totally fine. But there were a couple of times when we were all wrapping up after the interviews, all of us interviewers, and people would say, oh, they asked me that exact same very specific question. And not in a sense of to get another they, they wanted another opinion. It yeah. was like... Because some things it is good to get the absolutely. chief versus the PD yes. versus someone else's opinion. No. But some things, once you answer it once, once the, you answer answer it once, the, answer. the answer is the yeah. answer. Like what rotations do you have your yes. interns go on? The, you can figure that out from one person. And I think the other thing, and what I will say that sometimes sites don't have a lot of really great... They, don't have a, they may not have a strong website or they may not have a big pre- online presence. But if it's a question that you can find from online it's a challenge to something that my pd has a hard time with is if the if he answered the question in his presentation that we start every interview with he talks about our mapping and what are some of the benefits and if we get questions about that we kind of say well you really just weren't paying attention to the initial component well i think we've talked about some great things over the past 30 minutes of ways you would hopefully avoid not matching because we know that's something that no one wants to see when they open their email on match week Let's just talk about our take-homes really quick before we close up. I can start. I would say just be yourself and remember that as much as you need to be professional and be interviewed by the program, it's also a chance for you to interview the program because you need to go somewhere where you fit in and it's the right place for you. So keep that in mind and hopefully that will kind of keep you more calm and not as on edge the whole time. 
on audition rotations, make sure that you're not putting an immense amount of pressure on yourself to the point where you're getting in your own head and performing a little, you know, less on the high level than than you wish that you had. Specifically, just focus on having that good professional demeanor, being humble, teachable, honest, and really hardworking. And that is going to be what gives the best impression to your team members when you're on an audition rotation. Be the kind of resident and the kind of med student that you would want to match. So if you sort of turn the lens around on yourself, and I recognize and we recognize that as a student auditioning, you have an impossible task. We want you, just like you were saying, we want you to be funny, but not inappropriate. We want you to be smart, but not a know-it-all. We want you to be part of the team, but not overbearing. We understand that you have this impossible sort of like grid that you're trying to, to sort of sit on. But if you always use professionalism and just kindness as your North Star, you will be successful. I like that way of saying it. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you guys both for our great discussions and your input in this topic. And hopefully you students find this very helpful as you try to navigate the match process. And that's another wrap of our Med Student Over Easy session. Thanks, everyone. Well, thanks for making it all the way to the end of that Med Student Over Easy episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or head on over to our blog, emovereasy.com. Also, don't forget, we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. You can learn more about this great organization by heading to acoap.org, where you can find about an upcoming CME event where you might get to see a few of your EM Over Easy hosts live and in person for a show. Until next time, thanks so much. Thank you.